We continue this conversation uh, about authority. It's been a, it's been a, a very uh, excellent collection. It's been uh, one that I think has turned out a bit more dramatic than I had anticipated. And today we're even uh, uh, talking about something I think that is probably more dramatic and more heavy, perhaps you could say, than, than other topics. But I think it's so important that we not avoid these topics. It'd be easy to kind of scooch around them, but I do believe that our church has uh, got some robust muscles that we can, we can handle the heavy things. I recognize also that on a Sunday morning, we're at many different levels. There are some of you that came into this building this morning because you have an instinct. You have a sense that, that uh, there's something missing in your life, and you're searching spiritually. You're, and, and you perhaps not, have not defined what that is. For me, that was a three-year journey of searching, and that may be you. You may have just come to an intersection where you've exchanged your old life for, for the new one that Christ gives, and this is a place that, you, man, you're just soaking it in. You're a sponge. You're learning new things. Uh, there are those of you that have been Christ followers for many, many years. So it is a, a beautiful box of crayons, so to speak, of all different shades and sizes, and yet at the same time, uh, there's always a challenge, and, and uh, what can be said and, and, and digested on Sunday morning. So I like to prep you for that because it is, a, it is a topic that, again, we were not going to avoid, but it is a topic that I believe that is important for everyone, no matter who you are and uh, what, what level that you find yourself and stage in life that you find yourself. We're speaking this morning about jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is a word that I don't know about you, I don't use every, every day, so I brought a, a definition with me this morning. Jurisdiction is the territory or sphere of activity over which the legal authority extends. So in other words, there are, there are jurisdictions that each of us have in our life. Sometimes these are at a higher level, a more legal level, but there are, there are certain jurisdictions or areas, dimensions, spheres in our life, and I'm proposing to you that everybody has one. If you're a parent, you have that jurisdiction, your jurisdiction or your kids, or, or if you're a grandparent, your grandkids. If you have an apartment or you have a house, that is your legal dimension. That's your sphere that you have a lock on the door. You have the key. Other people don't have the key. And nobody can just walk in and, and uh, uh, you know, out of the building without just, uh, you know, freely. That may be true for you if you uh, have a job. This is you, you're in an office space, and you say, this is my jurisdiction. We might use the word lane, rather, this is my lane. If you're an accountant, maybe you do the accountant. Well, you know, Bob over in sales is not going to come over into your jurisdiction or your lane and start doing accounting. So even though that's kind of a big fancy word, it is an area of our life where we all, we all get it. There's also areas that we say that's not our jurisdiction. Uh, I have two teenage boys, you know, so the, you know they each have on their door uh, my room, um, stay out, or else you I'll kill you or something. You know, it changes from time to time. But there's a jurisdiction, and man, that's a big one. If you've got two kids or more, you understand the jurisdiction of a bedroom, right? There's something sacred that if you cross the line, you go over the threshold, boy, it is big, big trouble. There are things in life that, like the Oval Office, we do not have free jurisdiction over that. So there are areas that, there, that we don't 
have the freedom to just walk into. Where are we heading this morning? We're going to talk about the supernatural world. The supernatural world. That is the world that we can't see. Now, sometimes when you bring up this topic and you, and you, you just kind of throw it out there, sometimes people are like, whoa, 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 that's, that's you know, creepy or that's heavy or it's dark and, and uh, parts of it are all of those things. And yet it is so real that if as Christ followers or even those who are searching for God disregard the reality of the supernatural world, then your faith will be limited to just a cultural, suburban activity. No offense intended. Christianity is not just about a cultural warm and fuzzy. This is a, this is a reality. This supernatural world of light and darkness is a reality. Now, now before you... You go too far in your mind. Let me just bring it right back like Jesus did when he talked about, you know, seeds and fish and plants and everything. So we're talking about, you know, big, big supernatural spiritual things. But let me bring it down to where, you know, we live. There are things that we don't see right now. If I said to you, Sarasota doesn't have a SWAT team. Why? Because I've never seen them. Well, because I've never seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The President of the United States, regardless of who he is, gets a briefing, and that briefing comes across his desk on a regular basis, and I think if any one of us read that briefing, it would absolutely freak us out what's going on in this world, what protective measures are going on right now, not only in this county or this city or this state or this country, but globally, the protective measures that, there's, that we have no idea of what's, what's going on. We got a parent or two of a Navy SEAL, and uh, they, th- when we have conversations, I'm like, wow, that is a world that I don't even even get, but do we, can we agree that we deeply respect all of those layers that are going on right now that allows us to sit in a church in a country in peace? See, all those are real, even though you don't see it. Now, there are two sides of, of the supernatural world, two perspectives. C.S. Lewis does a really great job, I think, at saying, hey, be careful. Don't go overboard, but don't go underboard with this. C.S. Lewis says these words, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Like, hey, I just kind of want life to be kind of warm and fuzzy and, you know, haiku and poetry and, you know, sing songs and all that, and none of that exists. Don't want to look at it. The other error is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. It's called fixation. Uh, you and I probably know those that that's all they talk about. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know there's, a, there's, there's a demon under every rock, you know, like I've got a pimple. It's a demon, uh, you know, <laughs> and like, whoa, be, be careful that it's not that either. But I would say that in, in the U.S., in our culture, in our cul-de-sac culture, that our tendency is to domesticate Jesus and to domesticate our faith and disregard this sense of the reality of the supernatural. Let me give you an example. So when we uh, think of the coming of Jesus Christ, his first coming here on the planet, 
And if you were to ask many people, tell me about how he entered into the scene. Our story might go, our perspective might go right to the, the uh, story at Bethlehem, the little manger scenes that we set up. Uh, it's, it's enchanting in a way. There were these people just like you and me. There were shepherds out in the field. And then, you know, they came to the manger and they worshiped the, the, the baby Jesus. And that's all digestible, is it not? That's all absorbable. That's all okay. We're, we're, we're okay with that story. That's in the book of Luke, the story of Luke. Then you turn to the story of Matthew, and there's the beloved story of what we now call the wise men or the magi, who were, you know, they came to Christ and they worshiped him and they escaped from Herod, and it's quite a dramatic story. But my proposal to you is that in every one of the storytellers from the very beginning when Christ enters the scene, you see the, you see the presence of the supernatural. Even in that enchanting story and shepherds were abiding in the field, all of a sudden the curtains of heaven were ripped open and there was this choir of spiritual beings that we call angels. Of course, we've reduced him to these little ceramic precious moment things, but it's beyond that, right? <laughs> and so when you even look at the most enchanting entrance in the book of Luke, when, when Jesus comes on the scene, there are supernatural things that are happening in that story. People become mute, and then God gives them a voice. The heavens open up, and there's the angels. They tell them exactly where to go. And all of this is a fulfillment of predictions. We call them prophecies in the Bible that were given hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's supernatural. Even if you think of the magi or the wise men, God is doing a solar movement where he is moving this star and putting it in exact GPS where the baby or the child Christ is, to, is going to be found. Even that is a supernatural occurrence. You go to John and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And all of a sudden John's entrance and his prologue is all about a pre-existent Christ, this human being that's coming into the world. And before he was a human being, he existed before he became a human being. If that's not supernatural, I'll know what is. And then we turn to the book of Mark. Mark leaves all enchantment aside. Mark does not have a baby Jesus story in his gospel. He jumps right in. There's a reason for that. We've talked about it before. The gospel of Mark is a story about a powerful servant, Christ. And a servant didn't have the luxury of having a genealogy. So there is no genealogy like there is in Matthew and Luke. There is no beginning. He just jumps right into his ministry. So today we are going to be in the first chapter of the book of Mark. This is the entrance of Christ, according to this storyteller. And the reason we're going to, we're going to be here, now today, if you have your Bible, this would be an advantage. You know, I ask you uh, from time to time, do you have a Bible? Because it would be good to open up to the book of Mark because you can see some of the headings that are there. If you don't, you have a mobile device, I would encourage you to, to zip it out and turn to the book of Mark because I want you to see some of the things, the, the, the context or the, uh, almost the entirety of the book of Mark because it is, a, it is a chapter, it is a beginning where the curtain of natural is just pulled back and you see the supernatural at every corner at every corner. 
And there's a reason why the, we're going to talk about this, by the way. I believe, in, as you know, always, what, what do I bring with me when I walk out the door today? This is not just to be scintillating. This is not just to, to wow ourselves with these types of things, but really, at the conclusion of this, what does this mean for us? Let me, let me uh, begin then in the book of Mark in chapter 9. In the first eight chapters, we see John the Baptist. He, enter, he prepares the way for Christ to get baptized and baptizing others. But this is in, in verse 9 in Mark 1. This is the entrance of, of Jesus. Watch this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Can I just stop right there? Can you tell me, show of hands, how many saw that this week? <laughs> Where heaven was ripped, and the curtains of heaven were ripped apart. It begins with a supernatural occurrence. Heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. So now we've seen heaven rip open. We've seen the Spirit of God like a dove come down. We're now hearing an audible from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit beamed him up into the desert. Send him out into the desert. Let's just stop. These words are easy to read right over. But, you know, I'm referring to Star Trek. I had to ask my wife, who's a Trekkie, and a Star Warsy. I don't know what that person is called. But, you know, when they take the person and they're standing there, and they kind of dissipate, and then they show up somewhere else. Well, this is a supernatural occurrence where Christ is being sent out somehow. We don't get, we don't get the, the, the exact details, but in Acts chapter 8, we see the same thing with Philip. All of a sudden, he was transported by the Spirit, at once, the Spirit spent, sent, uh, sent Jesus out into the desert, and he was there in 40 days, and he was being tempted, not by his own humanity, not by his own weakness, not by anything but the arch enemy. He was tempted face to face with Satan. He was with wild animals. I don't remember that in the Luke gospel, when they were with uh, you know, came to the manger, you know, again, precious moment, ceramic version, you know, you got the little lambs there. I don't see any like hyenas uh, or, you know, pythons or any, anything in that story. Mark is saying, we're going to start this thing seriously. And so he was with Christ with, with wild angel, uh, wild angels <laughs> already. <laughs> they might have been wild. And the, wild, and the wild animals attended to him. No, that's the jungle book, excuse me. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. Like, okay, wow. I mean, in one paragraph, this is the beginning of the story of Jesus in this story, in, in this gospel. You can see that Mark's not playing around. Let me drop a few principles along the way. Here's the first one. The supernatural world is real. The supernatural world is real. Why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. When you, when you come, and it doesn't mean we, we, when I say it's real and we should be aware of it, doesn't mean we, anybody can fully understand it. 
Nobody can fully wrap their head around it. Nobody's fully seen it. But when you believe that the supernatural world is real, you live differently, you see differently, you pray differently, you view differently. All of these things you plan differently, you spin differently, you respond differently, and in your private life, you act differently. It is important. If the spiritual world, the supernatural world, is not real to you, then everything must be explained, and this is where we find ourselves swimming in the deep end of this culture. Everything must be explained. This is where we get evolution. Everything must be explained. It could not happen in that viewpoint from a supernatural speaking of a divine being. It's too much to swallow. So in an information age that is chock full of science, and the science and the Bible do not collide, the, the deeper you get and the, the depends on who you're reading, they're beautifully aligned. But then everything has to be explained from humanistic point of view, and that is not the God of the Bible. So it is important as we begin to see this is, this is important. Whether you're just beginning whether you're just starting out, whether you're searching for God or you've been a Christ follower for 30 years, it is critically important to understand that this experience, this phenomena of following Christ involves things like the SWAT team and the home security, uh, Homeland Security and all those things that we can't see. It matters because it changes even our view of Jesus Christ, that he wasn't just a good teacher, that he wasn't just a prophet, he was much more than that, and we've already sung it in our worship today, that even the darkness is, is afraid of his voice. Even the darkness obeys his voice. We continue then. Uh, he calls the disciples. He went to church. He went to the synagogue. And right after that, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? They were freaked out. What is this? A new teaching, watch, and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Why? Because it was his jurisdiction. There is no jurisdiction where Christ can't cross the threshold. You see how it, it challenges and, and even opens our eyes to like, man, Christ is just more than a teacher. Christ was just more than a good guy. Christ was more than a prophet. Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. In other words, he has authority or power over every aspect of life. Guess what? It matters. It matters. It changes how we pray. It changes how we see things. It changes our plans, our ambitions. It changes everything. And when I read this, here's something that I'm going to, I'm going to say that, no, we're going to go a little deeper, okay? When in the scripture you saw 
the impact of darkness. As we've just seen here, a man was violently shaking. There are times that we saw a man who was possessed by demons who was, uh, would throw himself in the fire. That he would, another instance where the, the man was going into convulsions. So here's, here's the second principle that I'd like to drop on you. The first one is, it's real. Here's the second one. The second principle is this. Not everything you see is what you think it is. Not everything you see is what you think it is. What do I mean by that? There's sometimes that we, that there's, there are many things in the natural world. So I'm not negating like, hey, sometimes our body gets a sickness. Sometimes, you know, we overwork and it's a natural uh, effect of those things. Sometimes we're fighting personality uh, things in our life, the way we're wired, the way we're, you know, are just our natural DNA. So I don't, I don't negate that. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to a doctor on Tuesday. I got a couple things going on, and I'm, hey, I'm going to go to a doctor and check things out and see what's, what's happening. So this is not to say, hey, we don't understand that there is a natural world. But what I will say to us very delicately is that there are things in our life that appear to be one thing but actually are part of the supernatural world. Let me give you some examples so you're not left wondering. What I mean by that is that there are, there are d- different ways that we react to things, okay? So when it comes down to some of the deeper things, let's say pride, let's say greed, let's say we're always right, Whatever those traits are, are not always just because of the way our parents grew us up or um, because uh, of our environment or those things. There are some times where we are supernaturally fighting something. And as as my favorite preacher, Tony Evans, says, sometimes we only are looking at the fruit when we need to look at the root There are some things in our life, let's say you have an issue that you get angry so fast. What I would say to you is maybe there are natural things that are causing that, okay? But don't discount the reality of the supernatural world that at the the very uh, root of that thing, whether it be skepticism or doubt or uh, greed or anger or whatever those things, don't discount the fact that the supernatural world is real and that there are those things called strongholds that, that need to be broken in our lives. Now, for some of you who have been, uh, like me, domesticated in church, like, whoa, where is this going, Right? All right, so I'll see you next week, and we'll take it up on the sequel. I'm just kidding. Listen, our enemy prowls this earth to see who he might devour. The challenges that we often face are challenges of a spiritual nature and not just a natural nature. Why is this so critically important? Because when you go to the doctor, the, the, their highest task is to not treat you, but before they can treat you, to figure out what the real deal is. What if you got a kidney stone and they give you eardrops? I know that sounds ridiculous, 
But there, there can be a lot of frustration in our life if we say, God, I don't want to get angry so quickly anymore. God, I don't want to get angry so quickly anymore. Next day, God, I don't want to get so angry so quickly anymore. And we haven't called on the power of Christ to address the real root of the issue and reveal it to us and tackle that at a whole different level that's not natural but supernatural. Does it make sense? This is why it matters. We're not like, woo, you know, this, forget that. It's, it is about the reality of what's really going on in our life. And sometimes Christ wants to come in and say, man, I know you, you know you're lazy. I know you're lazy. We're all, you know, everybody knows you're lazy, whatever. And it's like, hey, what's causing that? Because I think in church, we sometimes frustrate people and say, hey, get it together. And we don't even know we're putting eardrops for kidney stones. Make sense? C.S. Lewis again says this. You got to put your thinking cap on now. The sins of the flesh are bad. Let me define. The sins of the flesh are just those natural, what he's going to call animalistic sins, okay? But they are the least bad of all sins, not in the, and not in the sight of being you know, forgiven by God. They're all sins are important. But he's just saying how we tackle these in the context. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual, not just because we're human beings. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of blessing and patronizing, you know, these subtle things that we do as human beings, spoiling sport. I had to look that up, like what he meant, because, you know, he wrote a number of years ago. Uh, it's being a bad sport. You can't ever let anybody win. If they're winning, you got to, you know, you got to be one step ahead of them. These uh, backbiting, the pleasures of power, of hatred, these are all those, those intangible things that are hard to define. C.S. Lewis says, for there are two things inside me competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig, a prig means a snob, who regularly goes to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it's better to be neither. <laughs> I thought that was nice to throw in. This is heavy, is it not? Now you understand what I mean, like, hey, let's not skirt around this issue. And the reason I won't skirt around the issue, listen real carefully, is not to freak you out. If, it's, if, if this has freaked you out, I'm really sorry. It's not my intention. It's compassion. It really is compassion. For those things that get a hold of us to go to the real solution. And the real solution is Christ, the power, the, 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 the stronghold breaker. There have been things in my life that I have, I have tried, I've tried, I'm exhausted from trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm like frustrated, and then I say, man, I wonder even if this relationship with God is real, okay? I'll be completely transparent with you. And then I realize, like... It's not just a natural thing, and I'm finding it from a natural thing. I'm trying to overcome my kidney stones with eardrops. It's a supernatural thing, and now I know I can't do it. So that's when I come to Christ and say, Christ, I'm helpless. I need the power of Christ. I need your power in my life to break whatever is there. And then it, 
it begins to free up. It begins to unloosen. So I would say, don't try this at home. <laughs> try it with Christ. You see the compassion. If your son or your daughter were trying something over and over and you could say, oh, you're trying it in the wrong way. Try it this way. You see, sometimes the wrong tool. I was telling my boys yesterday, I used to live beside this guy when I lived out in the Midwest. He was an old farmer type personality. He had been a general contractor for years. He had this huge shed out in the back of the yard. There was no, there was no uh, houses behind our home. It had this huge shed out there. It had every tool known to mankind. His name was Paul. I'd be trying to do something. Paul would go, just hold on just a second. I'll, I'll be right back with the right tool. And he'd bring this tool back. So one day, you know what I mean by linoleum? They don't make that anymore. It's a floor. I have to explain to my kids what linoleum was. It's like a vinyl floor covering that they glue down. Good idea. Glue down. I was in my kitchen, uh, this house, first house I ever bought. And I was trying to remove this old linoleum because there were splotches in it. And I had, I, in my toolbox, I had a hammer and uh, a butter knife. And, uh, <laughs> and when I say I had covered this much territory in an hour, I am not joking. I'm like, <laughs> so Paul, you know, came over and he saw the idiocy of what I was doing. Uh, hold on just a second. I'll be right back. I'll get the right tool for you. I'm like, okay. He came over with an electric linoleum remover. It was shaped like a small lawnmower. It had a really sharp blade across the front. It was really heavy because, you, you know, it had to weight down. Plugged the thing in. Mm. He's like mowing the grass in my kitchen. The thing was rolling up, you see? <laughs> this is where the compassion comes from. They were trying to fight these things with a butter knife and a hammer. And Christ says, let me plug it in and watch how it peels back. This is, the, this is where Christ says it's important to understand. Then watch what happens. Mark chapter 1, 32, that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. You bet they did. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He was trying to keep a low profile because of this. It's a theme in the book of Mark. Here's the third principle I'd like to drop at you. There's nothing too tall for Christ. There's nothing too tall for Christ. However... Let me say this so that we don't walk out and say, well, how come of this or how come that? I'll have you notice that all of the sick, people brought to Jesus all the sick, and he healed many, not all. Lest you walk out and say, how come Christ didn't do that? I'll remind you that Paul went to him three times over whatever it was, it's been arm wrestled for centuries, whatever it was, and said, God, please, Take this thing, this person, this condition, whatever that was, away, please. Three times. And Christ said, my grace is sufficient. The person who has the authority 
still has the decision right. And either if he heals us, changes us, breaks a stronghold or not, he is still the name above all names. Christ is not a vending machine. He's not a vending machine that, that we can just say, I said this, he does this. I say it out loud, that, therefore he does it. This is the extreme of this conversation. It's called name it and claim it. I'll just put it out there. I said it, boom, God does it. God's not that way. He's mysterious. And there's sometimes in his absolute grace and absolute compassion, he says no. I was with somebody this past week, and he said, God, this guy said to me, been through uh, just some really severe physical things, and he said, God was so gracious to me that he said no. I thought, what maturity? How mature that is. Rather than God didn't say no, and I don't like it. God said, no, I don't like it. No. He said, God was so gracious to me that he knew that I needed something more than whatever this physical thing was. He knew I needed character. He knew I needed patience. He knew I needed empathy or mercy or whatever that deeper thing that God is. God is still God, and he can say yes. He can say no. He can say wait. And we can't lose sight of that in this conversation. All right. Let me end, end with this thing because this is really, really a, a key, Okay. Watch this. At one point, Jesus took this authority and he transferred it. Mark chapter 1, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. But there is a caveat here. That means that Christ gave us the authority to also address these things as an ambassador and an agent of Christ. But watch this. The power is still his, not ours. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're Iron Man now. We're still reliant on Christ's power. Let me illustrate it this way. If you're driving down Wilkinson this afternoon, Wilkinson Road, and there's a policeman, he's got the authority to stop your car. Would you agree? But he doesn't have the power to stop your car. If you're driving 35 and he stands in front of your car, car wins. <laughs> he has the authority, he doesn't have the power. He didn't have the human capacity to stop a 35-mile-an-hour car. He's got the authority, but not the power, right? Christ has given us the authority, but it is his power, not ours. The challenge in this conversation, I want, you know I'm a musician. My background is a musician. I've said it a million times. People would love to play Rachmaninoff with an hour of practice, and it don't work that way. If you're, if you're an athlete, if you're a dancer, if you're an artist, it don't work that way. It, it, there, there is this there's investment. And the same is true with, with this authority piece that Christ transferred us. Watch this. In Mark chapter 9, verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his, his disciples asked him privately. They were trying to drive out 
demons. And he said, they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And he said, because this kind only comes by prayer and fasting. Why prayer and fasting? Because prayer and fasting, a time of prayer and fasting, reduces us because Christ, so that Christ's power can be greater. This, it shows us it's not our power. We reduce, we reduce, we reduce, 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 reduce. So when you look beyond the boundaries of the U.S., there are more supernatural things happening in other places in the world. There are places in Africa. There are places in Asia that unbelievable things are happening. We've been in the Middle East where we have heard testimony. There have been more Muslims coming to be Christ follower in the last 14 years than the last 1,400 years. And they are, they are, and they're coming because God is giving them visions and dreams of who Christ is, and then someone shows up. And some of you are like, okay, we are at the graduate level now. I, I get that, but it's real. And the things that we're seeing in certain regions of the world, when you talk to every single one of them, they are on their knees in a way that is exponentially larger than is happening here. Exponentially. This one man that we, we kind of track with, I mean, they're having seven-day prayer meetings. They're fasting on a regular, 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 regular basis so that they are diminished and Christ's power becomes more. So watch this. If you got your Bible and, and, or a device, and if you were to scan Mark chapter 1, and you look, it's one miracle after the next, one supernatural occurrence after the next. Leprosy is healed. Nobody healed leprosy in that day. Nobody did. And Christ touched them, and they were healed. And, and demons were coming out. I mean, it was like, you know, you think the angels in the Luke story was amazing. Mark says, hey, watch this. Here's Jesus' first day on the job. Ah! Full throttle. Watch this. In Mark chapter 1 and, 30, and verse 35, nestled within all of these supernatural occurrences, the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, very early in the morning while I still got up, Jesus left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. When we have this conversation, it makes me super nervous because people want to play Rachmaninoff and, play, and practice just an hour. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of copycatting going on. You remember in Acts chapter 8, if you know the Bible, uh, man, the apostles were doing amazing supernatural things, and then Simon came along like, hey, man, I like pizza, that action. How much, where do you, do, where do you swipe? Here's my credit card. Where do I swipe for that action? And he just wanted to copycat and shortcut. I've seen too much, and you have too, somebody that takes this conversation and it becomes fake. Can I say it out loud? And it's abused. What's the message? It's real. It's important. It, it matters in our life. There's nothing too tall for Christ. But it does require that we understand it's his power and not ours.
And if that's going to happen, the lower we get, the higher Christ becomes. We must, must, must diminish ourselves. Let me be honest with you. I must. I must. Whatever we're doing, we need to do more. We're lulled in our country, and I love our country. It sounds like I don't. I love our country, but our culture, we're fighting against it. It's a lot of facts. It's a lot of naturalisms. It's a lot of humanisms. It's a lot of complexities. There's a lot of comforts. There's all those things. But Christ has put us here to be light and darkness. And just because we live in this culture, we don't give up. We go lower. We go lower. We go lower. We go longer. We go lower. We go longer. We go lower. We go longer. So that Christ can work through us and we don't expect to play Rachmaninoff and be in the practice room an hour. Make sense? Important conversation, don't you think? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for revealing the things, God, that you reveal to us. There is so much we don't see, so much we don't know, but out of compassion, God, you have revealed to us that this whole human existence is not just a human ex natural existence. Otherwise, we'd all be frustrated. How come we can't do this? How come we can't do that? And only tapping into our human power, God, will absolutely fail. You've reminded us, Jesus, that apart from you, we truly can do nothing of any measure and certainly nothing supernatural. So here we are, God, fragile, humans, fractured, bruised, dented, and yet called to be light in darkness. Would you remind us today through the power of your word and the movement, God, of the Holy Spirit, how real this thing is we call the supernatural world and how important. There may be some people, God, right now that are kind of freaked out. But I pray you'll soothe them. I pray, God, that you will calibrate their minds to wherever we are in our stage of growing to meet us right where we are. There are people probably that have deeply resonated with what they might have seen as a human struggle in this room. Your word teaches us to examine ourselves and invite you to search us, God. Is there a spiritual root something that is holding on at a supernatural level, God, in our lives that only you can break. We've tried, we've tried, we've tried, God. We're so frustrated. God, would you reveal to us what 
that might be at the root. Father, your Holy Spirit is faithful, reminded in this moment that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And you've given us the availability of of the power of Christ. You call us to go lower. You call us to go longer. You call us to be on our knees. We look at Jesus on his knees every day in a solitary place, God. Draw us there. Make us uncomfortable if we've left that place. Empower us, God. We find ourselves at the foot of the cross, God, confessing for those that would confess, God, only your power. I can't do it on my own. It's the perfect place you want us. We pray, God, to get today for those who have come. They're searching for you, and, and, and perhaps they haven't even defined that. You've just began to surface yourself, God, in their lives and accentuate a hunger for a spiritual life beyond just a human experience. I'm wondering today, as we're having this supernatural conversation, in a very simple way, if you've come searching for God, as we're in prayer, let me just say, that Christ loves you so deeply. And he broke through the barriers of heaven to come to earth, to put himself on the cross, to supernaturally forgive all the sins, the mistakes, the fractures, everything, because of his deep compassion for you. If you were the only person on the planet, transferring your life to receive his listen carefully it's supernatural it's not just an agreement in your mind that Jesus died and came back it is the inner person of yourself that says God here's my old life I want Christ's new life in me is that you today is that you today This is not a game, this is not religion, this is reality. Perhaps it's you today that would say, God, I've tried, I want Christ in my life. Jesus, would you forgive me for every sin in my life, for every fracture in my life, for every mistake in my life, and would you enter my life in a new way through the power of your spirit? Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Christ loves you. Christ loves you. Waiting for you. Thank you, Father, for a church that does not skirt around these conversations, to hit them straight on, to understand, God, that this is not a game. This is reality. And at the end of the day, Father, you are God. You are Lord. All decisions are left up to you. So we bow to you together as a church family. We bow to you, God, and recognize that you are 
Christ, Lord of lords, King of kings, and every knee will bow, and we bow ours now to you, and we worship you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.